Arsenal legends Paul Merson, John O'Shea and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin. It's an exclusive off-air event, so if you want to be there, get on to offtheball.com forward slash events. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. Now you're welcome along. Sunday papers coming at you. I'll run you through the headlines first of all. Lots of Manchester City on the back pages as the treble starts to become very, very possible. So the Sun here have treble in strife and we have on the treble side of things, Riyad Mahrez and Manchester City beating Sheffield United 3-0 yesterday. Mahrez fires hat-trick. The strife part is Ten Hag, who it seems went, in his words, really mad at his players after the defeat in Seville. So he gave them the hairdryer treatment is the reporting there. Above that, Babs Keating has a column in The Sun, horrified by Tipperary's loss in the league semi-final. He uh, thinks their performance at the end of the league will uh, spill over into today's match. Sunday Mirror then. Again, we have Ten Hag here ahead of Brighton, Manchester United. Read the riot act. Eric Ten Hag admits he's been channeling, channeling his inner Fergie by giving his Manchester United players the hairdryer treatment. And above, it's Riyad Mahrez punching the air. Man City 3, Sheffield United nil. Magical Mahrez's final say. Picture from inside the Man City dressing room on the back page of the Mail on Sunday. Treble yell. It's Jack Grealish and Calvin Phillips and Rodri. Guardiola desperate to quell the hype but history is very much in sight which it is really I mean kind of starting to feel they're more likely than not to win the treble and beneath that England defeat was lying in the sand moment says Greg McWilliams so Ireland beaten yesterday 48-0 at Musgrave Park and Greg McWilliams says it was a lying in the sand type moment for his team who were certainly spirited England I don't think were at their best is the truth as well though we have the Sunday Times again it's a photo of Riyad Mahrez punching the air trebles all round hat-trick for him and City very much on for the treble and then Sunday independent picture from South Africa yesterday Munster a crucial point for them uh, 22 points apiece against the Sharks at Kings Park in Durban so that will mean Champions Cup rugby at Thoman Park next year and beneath that Jurgen Klopp hopes Reds can be late to party again so they are within six points of Newcastle who do play Spurs Today, that win yesterday against Nottingham Forest makes it uh, four matches unbeaten back-to-back wins. So we'll see. And then finally, Sunday World, Ten Hag, uh, bright spark. Manchester United Brighton today. It's do or die against Seagulls, warns Ten Hag as United flops need to deliver or face the exit. And bottom page of the uh, back page of the Sunday World, Gerard lined up for Nottingham Forest job, apparently certainly linked uh, with it. So they are your back pages. We have Cleena Foley, journalist and broadcaster with us here in studio and Kieran Cunningham, chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star, who, by the way, has a podcast on Katie Taylor to be released uh, very shortly in advance of the fight. Four-parter? Yeah, it's called Untouchable and it's... Um, uh, yeah, I've got... I've, 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 Look at, um, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I think there's a lot. There's a lot to it. It's not it's trying to tell the story in a different way, like looking at it in a wider social context of what women in sport, woman, the way women in Ireland were treated, the way Irish sports people, uh, female sports people, especially were treated. Then bringing in other parts of the story, and uh, unfortunately, bringing in the shadow of the, the involvement of Daniel Kinnan in the sport, which very much. 
there's connections towards the towards this fight with Chantal Cameron that can't be ignored. But uh, there's a lot of interviewed a lot of people, you know, from um, Deirdre Nelson and Deirdre Gogarty who were two uh, two broke uh, series grand in Irish boxing for women before Katie Taylor, Thomas Hauser, Donald McRae, Andy Lee, Eric Donovan, Barry McGuigan, Rosita Sweetman, who was the founder of the Irish women's movement, uh, Ema Ryan, the Irish writer and camogie player. So the, the, there's uh, quite happy with what we've got together. I think Deirdre Gogarty is coming home from America for that fight. That's think, right, yeah. It? There's a, a function in Drogheda the night yeah, before. They're looking to build a statue to her up there. They're yeah. looking to build a statue to Deirdre in uh, in Drahad at the moment they're trying to raise funds for it yeah from memory you were asking nasty questions at the press conference for the Katie Taylor fight irritating questions you were an irritant to well uh, trying yeah. to have a good time a couple of people got annoyed to, to, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think other journalists well I hope they didn't other journalists didn't but a couple of people that I asked questions of no I I, I put two questions to Jamie Moore who train Chantal Cameron because he's been publicly very supportive of Daniel Kinnan both in interviews social media posts he was very vocal on the uh, the MTK global ban on talking to Irish media and I, I just asked him you know given what has come out since and the sanctions against does he regret that and he said I don't want to I'm not going to talk about that we're here to talk about the fight and, and I also put a question to Eddie Hearn that he didn't like pointing out, you know, Conor McGregor is going to be involved in some uh, some part as a sponsor through one of his through one of the products that he flogs and I just said to Eddie Hearn, does he realise how divisive a figure McGregor is in Ireland and you know, has he thought through that it might be counterproductive having him attached to this fight and uh, he gave some kind of waffly answer but didn't really address it but I think those are valid questions yeah, yeah. to be honest We'll uh, press ahead with the paper review. So, might start. This is just uh, one of those odd moments. Page eight of the Sunday Times. I hadn't seen this photo before. This is like if you've uh, had the pleasure of your wedding day and you look over in the corner and you see worlds colliding. You see your work colleague talking to your oldest childhood friend, talking to your college mate, and you're thinking, my God, the three of them in each other's circle. That is just... Uh, very striking to me. So uh, the photo in question, I hadn't seen this photo, apparently, um, well, Paul Rowan obviously had last week and, and wrote a piece about it. It's uh, taken in London's Mayfair and we have, and it seems it was just a, a natural coming together, a meeting. We have Louis Figo and Robbie Keane out shopping together and who do they bump into? Only John Delaney. And so there are smiles. I <laughs> know. And uh, smiles and a kind of a back slap and they're all very happy to see each other. And so the photo has Robbie Keane smiling and, and looking in a different direction. And Louis Figo is saying something to John Delaney and they're both smiling. So there you go. Just one of these random moments. So it's not especially newsworthy, I would think. But Paul Rowan is writing about it nonetheless. And uh, I suppose he's uh, charting Keane, Robbie Keane, more than anybody, he said uh, last week pictures emerged showing Keane uh, window shopping for watches with former Ballon d'Or winner Louis Figo. The chance arrival on the scene, however, of uh, former FAI chief executive John Delaney glad handling in a familiar style as captured by a photographer is a reminder of Keane's last job in football as an assistant coach at the FAI. Keane himself uh, seemed to be doing his best to move on after a brief exchange of greetings. He wasn't available for comment on Friday, but sources close to him said it was an 
an entirely misleading and incorrect uh, thing to say that there'd been a meeting and that instead they had simply passed each other in the street three weeks ago as per the photos. Three weeks ago, not last week. Uh, Delaney is today based in London where he's trying to rebuild his career and reinvent himself as a sporting consultant all the time while an investigation by the ODCE continues back in Dublin into his lengthy stewardship of the FAI. Paul Rowan goes on to write about Keane. Despite being Ireland's long-time captain and holding the record for both appearances and goals, 68 in 146 games, Keane is not as universally loved and admired as those spectacular figures suggest he should be. And Paul Rowan says the manoeuvrings involving him John Delaney, Mick McCarthy and the present uh, Irish manager Stephen Kenny contributed the ambivalence. Uh, you'll remember, writes Paul Rowan, that with the FAI board's approval, Delaney granted Keane a four-year contract as Ireland assistant in 2018 on a salary of around €250,000 a year. Keane's contract twice as long as McCarthy's. Official documents revealed in the Sunday Times that Keane was paid more than McCarthy's highly experienced first assistant, Terry Connor which raised a lot of eyebrows. And then, of course, as we know, when Kenny succeeded McCarthy in April 2020, one of his first acts was to omit Keane from his coaching staff. But the former Irish international remained on the FAI's payroll until his contract ran out uh, last summer. And that was a situation uh, much commented upon. And uh, his omission from the Kenny coaching ticket angered Keane and his wife, Claudine, called for the FAI to show him the, quote, respect, end quote, he deserves. And the piece as well notes that uh, Keane was assistant at Middlesbrough under Jonathan Woodgate. That was uh, largely a failure. Keane left in June 2020. Since then, it's been all quiet. Uh, he had a link to a job in Turkey. Didn't happen. He was recently added to UEFA's 20-strong council of wise men, which will advise the governing body of European football on a wide uh, range of topics. He will also manage a celebrity-packed rest-of-the-world team in a charity match against England for UNICEF in June at Old Trafford. There is no doubt, though, that he still harbours an ambition to one day manage his country. So, in a sense, there's nothing in this piece. But Good picture, though. It's a great picture. <laughs> and the Sunday Times website is also, look at this picture. And sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes the picture is all you need. I hadn't seen this picture before either. Um, the, 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 the thing about Keane, I mean, I, uh, what's always struck me with Robbie Keane is how how much the fans loved Robbie Keane oh, and still do. I um, mean, just had just seemed to make that connection. I don't know if it was his performances on the field or his performances off it. I'd, I think maybe with journalists sometimes um, there wasn't, the, certain, but certainly with some journalists think there wasn't the same affection for him. What struck me as well was always was, you know, I couldn't I couldn't countenance that salary, uh, being that much of a salary being paid when so many employees, including people like Packy Bonner, you know, clearly were badly done by by the FAI at the time, and I just thought that, that there was I couldn't get that there was an an in, in, inequality there that always struck me as a little bit wrong. And then Keane as well, if I remember, I think it's mentioned here as well. He he was involved with, with club management with wasn't with, took an assistant job with Middlesbrough at the time as well. I couldn't understand that, you know. So it wasn't a particularly. Um, I, do, I just think some people would have seen wouldn't have seen the sense of all of that and it was a lot of money at the time as well It was a huge amount of money and Robbie Keane uh, absolutely entitled uh, to it he made the agreement with the FAI yeah. it was John Delaney and the FAI board's decision and Robbie Keane was much uh, criticised for a period then for continuing to accept the salary even though he wasn't part of Stephen Kenny's backroom team but again he was absolutely entitled 
uh, to do so uh, legally. And you have to stress that. And I think mm, uh, mm. certainly the King Camp were pains <coughs> to stress that, even though uh, suggestions were made by some people. Well, given that he's not involved in the Kenny backroom team, should he uh, move to sever the agreement? And if you remember, routinely, every time anybody from the FAI hierarchy was asked about the situation whereby a large amount of money was going to somebody who effectively wasn't uh, doing the job it was being paid to do, the FBI would routinely say, oh, we're nearing an agreement or we're, we're going to talk about that or, you know, that'll be sorted out soon. And of course, it never was. And the contract just reached its natural conclusion. So mm. uh, to what extent that has uh, damaged perception of Robbie Keane are not as difficult to say, as Kleena said, very popular with lots of fans. I always felt, and I don't even know what I'm basing it on, anecdotally, uh, just a sense of, I don't know, you you see polls about uh, most beloved Irish sports mm. people. You would think the record goal scorer on an international level in the most popular sport in the country should be always in the top five most beloved sporting figures. And I, I never saw his name featured. Yeah. I never got the well, sense. You, well, yeah, because I remember during lockdown and you guys did that Mount Rushmore thing for each county. Mm. And I think you actually might have broken Dublin into North and South Dublin. But from what I remember... We're big proponents of splitting Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. But from what I remember, uh, I'm not sure Robbie Keane made the cut. And when you fact, you know, uh, maybe he did, but uh, uh, from memory, I don't think he did. And when you factor in, you know, the record goal scorer and, and who he scored, you know, big goals against, it would be surprising. But I do think there's been an ambivalence uh, is one way of putting it towards his post-playing career. That he, uh, it's very. I can't think of anybody in the history of Irish soccer that has had this kind of post-playing career. That is kind of a made man within UEFA, even though he's very limited coaching experience. He's put. He's been put in uh, among a group who UEFA will pick the brains of in terms of the future direction of the game. Will they? Uh, will they? Will they? Will they? Who not? Well, UEFA, I wouldn't rule anything out given some of the stuff UEFA and FIFA come up, come up with. But also, you know, you mentioned, you know, he's he's managing this rest of the world team. But during the international break, I saw there was a, a game, a charity game between Liverpool and Celtic legends. And he actually played for both teams. He played a half for both. Like he seems to do a lot of this kind of stuff floating around. And it's very, you know, he has that kind of profile that he's gone window shopping with Luis Figo. And I think, you know, he was so associated with Damien Duff when they were growing up, coming through the ranks together. And Duff was actually, you know, achieved a lot more in the game, you know, club level, the Premier League winner, etc. I was in Talca Park on Friday and you know, Damien Duff's on the sideline at Shelburne mm. and he's immersed himself so much in the game here. And, you know, I think... I think Robbie Keane, as a coach and manager, if he does have ambitions has to get over himself a bit. You know, he has to think that... So, like Duff, I really value what Duff has done and that he went to Celtic at underage and he take... And as Shamrock Grovers at underage, taking Shelburne, who'd just been promoted, uh, you know, uh, uh, with a ground that was a very uncertain future and that half of it was closed. And there's something admirable about that, you know, that he went down somewhere he to get his hands dirty. And I think, you know, Robbie Keane seems to be living a bit of a gilded life. And I think if we be serious about coaching and management, you know, just grasp the nettle, take a tough job. Mm. Yeah, 
it's going to be interesting to see what he does for the next couple of years. There's for nothing. Sure. There's absolutely. There's nothing stopping him from living a gilded life, you know. And uh, living a gilded life has got. Uh, you would. You would have thought has got several other people the senior job in Ireland before as well. Remember, True. you know. So there's. He's perfectly entitled to do it. Um, I've never heard him say he wanted to be Ireland's senior manager. So I think that's an interesting line there, which there's nothing to back it up. I think you know he did say it a few did times. He? Yeah. yeah, and but it's just implied if you want yeah. to be a manager, that's a job. He well, if you were the assistant. You presume. There, were always, there was always a sense that part of the Delaney think, thinking was grooming Keane was, for was, the future as a future manager. In just the extent to which Keane was given a longer contract yeah. than Mick McCarthy was, the, that sense that well he's now going to be part of succession planning. Yeah. And then Stephen Kenny had other ideas, so it was all very messy. I mean, it was like a parting gift from that FAI board. But it is int- it, it's interesting how this has been phrased. Paul Rowan says. Um, Keane himself seemed to be doing his best to move on after a brief exchange of greetings. This is in, in yeah. terms of the picture. Um, he wasn't available for comment on Friday, uh, but sources close to him said it was entirely misleading and incorrect to say that there had been a meeting. Uh, so in other words, the sources were distancing him but from... Uh, well, and, 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 and I think he'd be very keen to di- put a distance because, yes. I mean, that, that, that agreement patently didn't work out. It cost the FAI a lot of money. And so any sense that here's a meeting of old pals who look yeah, after each yeah, other is, yeah. is absolutely a perception. I'm not surprised he wants to run away from. Yeah, like the, the probably the main thing in this article, you know, it highlights once again that John Delaney is working as a sporting yeah, consultant well. in London, while this major investigation into stewardship of the FEI is going on. And you'd you'd have to wonder how, why are people engaging with him? Like, do they not know how to use Google? Well, I, I am always it's amazed by that, um, and and I've seen it before with the appointment to some people in Ireland as well. And you do think. Do they not look up Google? You know, do, do they not care? Well, John Delaney would argue he did a fine job in lots of aspects when it came to the FAI, and I'm sure yeah. he's. And uh, well, if anybody wants to read Champagne Football, <laughs> by Paul Rowan and Mark Ty, it was legal, nobody has sued over it. It's all in there. Uh, we'll move on. In many ways, it's the photo, and it's just an odd moment that happens in life in a city of 10 million people. Look who bump into each other in Mayfair. Out yeah. shopping for watches with Louis Vigo. Uh, and, uh, Why yeah. would you be at Talca Park when you could be shopping for watches with Louis Vigo? <laughs> they don't prove the fact that they're How many watches picture? do you need? How many watches do you think Louis Vigo and Robbie Keane Oh, have? I think you need seven anyway for every day of the week. <laughs> for each arm? Yeah. Uh, it also proves that the picture doesn't always tell the story as well. You always have to be careful with stills. You do. Yeah. You do. You do. You do. Uh, we'll move on. So uh, there's lots of GEA in the papers. There's an um, interesting piece with Jack Cronin, just um, Jack Conan, excuse me, putting some uh, meat on the bone. Terrible uh, phrase to use about a committed uh, vegan. But yeah. he <laughs> is uh, expanding on an interview he gave to second captains a number of weeks ago where he explained, I suppose, his poor form post lines where he was magnificent and was the starting number eight. And then just seemed to fade a touch from our screens and uh, he referenced in that initial interview that he just had a, a condition whereby he lost all his energy didn't go into too much detail it sounded like long COVID to a lot of people so uh, he explains uh, I remember vividly being a training I was running around thinking there's something wrong with me there has to be something wrong with me I felt like I'd, I'd aged 10 years in the space of two or three months I said to our physio mid-session, I dropped out, turned to him and I said, there is something wrong with me. There has to be something wrong with me. I'd always prided myself on being fit from playing loads of different sports growing up. Now it just felt like someone had turned my power down massively. I was at 60% the whole time. It felt like every training session was nine out of 10 toughness. Games were even worse. So again, this was um, 
around Christmas time post Lions where this all happened and uh, if it sounded like long COVID uh, he was uh, considering that himself it wasn't writes Brendan Fanning in this piece and it seems just a touch of luck is what yeah. sorted things out so he had a neck injury and that led to a brain scan and an eagle-eyed radiologist spotted something which shouldn't have been there so it was a cyst in his pituitary gland which is common enough uh, he says uh, Jesus it's a miracle we found this so when they're scanning your neck they scan all the way up to the base of your brain and your pituitary gland sits deep between your eyes I wouldn't be able to pick it out I must confess but it sits uh, deep between your eyes so somebody who was looking for a problem with the neck spotted something which shouldn't be there that looks like a cyst on his pituitary gland so that was the first person to pick it up and Jack Conan says whoever it was I haven't gotten their name (laughs) and I really should because I owe them a great debt it was uh, such a relief of finally knowing what it was that was brilliant Uh, when you don't know you're pulling your hair out going what's wrong with me why can't I be formed? Why am I struggling uh, so much? And uh, they got to the bottom of it and that seemed to sort things out. There was some uh, medical care. Um, they found a hormone imbalance and uh, he says the hardest thing in some ways was getting back mentally that uh, even when he was back playing again and they had the condition sorted out, he was almost constantly on the field asking himself, well, how am I feeling? Am I en- is my energy back? And he said he did a lot of work with Gary Keegan about resetting and mm. Focusing and, and that name, Gary Keegan, there again. Yeah, and popping up again. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, he said forgiving himself for everything which had happened uh, previously, which was kind of an interesting line. I'm, I'm surprised to see he was beating himself up, but mentally he got back to focusing on the moment. Not in some ways I was surprised. In some ways I'm surprised at this, Joe, in that it wasn't picked up earlier in terms of I would have thought professional athletes get bloods done, mm. you know, um, track and field stars, definitely track and field people get bloods done all the time. I was surprised at the bloods mm. that it wouldn't have popped up in his bloods. Uh, female athletes particularly are always monitoring hormones, hormones because women's bodies are so much more subject to hormones. So it's something that is all bloods, bloods are always being done. And I was a bit surprised that, you know, um, they spotted this cyst in the pituitary and then did blood. So that, that surprised me a little that it wasn't spotted easier. But it just shows you how quickly the engine can be depleted by something that is not visible. Um, and I, I, he seemed to indicate he does a piece in a couple of papers today that once he once he found it, what it was, and they and they looked at addressing that, it was a mental problem. Then it was mm-hmm. like you know and that's and that's where Gary Keegan and, and nobody knows exactly what Gary Keegan does, as we know, but that's what he's good at. Is he's really good at working? So working also, with it also mentally. reminds me that um, we you know it just reminds you that often you don't know what you're watching, or you know mm. you you don't know what somebody's gone through when you're watching them. Like you could. You could have been watching. We could have been watching the Leinster Ireland game and saying, "Look, Conan has completely lost form. What's got him? He was overrated. He was never Work that rate. good." Is he arrogant? Post yeah. lines. Yeah. And we don't. And we, you know, physically or mentally, you don't know what somebody has gone through. It's funny so you say that often. because we had uh, one of the New York footballers on the show uh, after they had uh, beaten Leitrim and the former Dublin player. Carthy. 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 Yes. And yeah. he, he was just, you know, he kicked five points in the game off his left foot, but he was saying, oh, yeah, no, I destroyed my quad a few days before the game, so I couldn't kick off my right foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would presume every match that we watch in every sport, at least 20% of the players are operating with some major injury that they're just getting through the game with. And we well, never know. Well, in rugby, I because mean, I remember Brian O'Driscoll saying this, and it was a few years ago, and I think it'd be even more the case now. He says... Uh, I think he said at least 80 or 90 percent of games rugby players play, they're carrying some injury. Yeah, they'd have to. Be. Every rugby player is carrying some knock in every game. Yeah. 
And 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 with the you even think about GA players now with the tighter season as well. You know, they are going their bodies are just going to be under so much pressure and they are going to be going into games injured, I'd say, you know, or carrying knocks as well. Because yeah. it just isn't time now with the, the Harlan Championship starting this weekend. We see games are going to be coming thick and fast. There's only a six day break for some of them. Yeah, you're right. You, do, you know, you don't know. But with professional sport, I think you make the assumption that, you know, they're always perfect when we know, you know, so, so many reasons. And Conan's form is so good now with, again. Uh, with women football or female footballers and cruciates. Yeah, like it's eight times higher the rate. I think. Yeah, and there's all. I mean, hormones are part of that as well. So you know, certain times in in the cycle where you could be your 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 tendons are actually more stretchy, and that leaves you more open to certain types of injuries at certain times of 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 your period. So like, there's fascinating science that still has to be done. And blamed as well because boots are designed for male. Yeah, they're now looking at that. I would never thought of that. that Yeah, and women's hips hips just been a different position. All kinds of you know sports science that still has to be done, if you like, and that's the big problem for female athletes is that most sports science has traditionally been based on male bodies, but it's changing. And at Lone IT, I've said before, is is an area in Ireland who who are starting to do very specific female-led sports science, um, and even um, within you know Irish rugby, they're looking at stuff like that as well. You know, but it's it, it there's a presumption with professional athletes always that you know they wouldn't be on the field unless they were perfect, and that's. So not the case, oh, no. you know, and Matched so not up. the case. I always, always say that. I don't know whether you feel that sometimes, Karen. Sometimes athletes may be unhealthy people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh no, but maybe like, some of the unhealthiest people we know yeah. because of what they're trying to do with their bodies and what they're pushing through. Yeah, and trying to make weight and uh, not eating properly, and you know, uh, Ex- exercise. So many being, things, exercise know. very good for you. Professional sport, not good for you. That's <laughs> exactly. The truth. Yeah, yeah. And and funny actually, you you talk about the lack of literature or, or uh, studies clean uh, Louise Galvin was on actually yeah. a couple of weeks, months ago talking about playing for Kerry very soon after giving birth and she's um, a physio she's a physio by that's trade, right yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and I remember her saying that when you know she asked the public health nurse about return to sport there was a look of well I feel like I've never been asked that question before almost from the public health nurse who I'm sure is brilliant at her job and everything and Louise was saying in terms of literature out there as in, this is how you make a comeback quickly from pregnancy. There's basically yeah. no studies out yeah, there. Yes, there's nothing. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, just beside that Jack Conan piece, certainly in the Sunday Independent anyway, this is just a, a one line um, point. Bernard Jackman's writing about the boy wonder, yeah. Sam Prendergast, and he just opens by saying, last November, I asked Johnny Sexton to give me one player to follow over the next few years from the talent-laden Leinster Academy. He didn't take long before answering. Sam Prendergast. But so. he makes a very good point about Prendergast. He's saying it's too early for Prendergast. People are, put, you know, are, are looking for him, wondering, you know, how quickly could he get into, you know, the Ireland senior squad and get into. But he's saying part of that, part of one, one of his problems as well was that when he was starring for Newbridge in schools rugby, they got hit two years in a row with COVID. So, you know, even those big that 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 those big cup finals they they missed out on them but I mean he's obviously an incredible talent um, I, I think they're like he's talking about there was um, Ruby Walsh asked him about it at a Punchestown launch and he was saying oh Prendergast should be in the World Cup squad and Ruby Walsh said you know if you if you you know he won the Gold Cup at 19 but like I don't think you can compare those things at all It's funny I, I would tend to agree with you and then Keith Wood was on Wednesday Night Rugby this week a man who I would say it is not his form to get aboard any hype train yeah, everything is just settled down. Yeah, and he's usually right. And he blew me away because he sat down. And he said, "I'd be thinking seriously about Prendergast for the World really? Cup." Really? Yeah, very Interesting. seriously. He, yeah. He's like, he's the best. He's the one. 
the composure is unlike any of the other pretenders to Sexton. But but if you look at him physically, though, and I just that would be my worry would be how looking. how yeah. is he, you know, just just at, at the age and, and, and the physicality that he has now, I would just be worried that he'd get broken up very quickly, if, if, you know, by the big monsters. They, they were saying against South Africa last week, I didn't see the game yesterday, the mm-hmm. 62 point defeat, but they were saying last week that so his, his ranginess can be a touch deceptive because he's 6'2 or 3, he's very yeah, tall, yeah. Uh, but they, the, his defensive work Oh, was he's, brilliant. he's afraid Sorry. of nothing. He's absolutely afraid of nothing. Maybe. Sorry, and just to clarify, when, I, when I'm talking about the Ruby Walsh point, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't think he's, he, he, I'm not looking at his age, I'm looking at the potential to be injured at his age yeah. compared to be the potential to be injured in even in horse racing. I just think that this is a collision sport where somebody could do him serious damage if he's not ready physically for, for the very, very elite level of World Cup. No, it's a fair point. Uh, just um, well seen as run rugby just to finish it uh, briefly it ties in with protests Eamon Sweeney's writing about protests and there was an attempted protest yesterday <laughs> at Ireland nil England 48 I was there were you? Okay. <laughs> was, yeah. well I don't know if you got one of these flyers before the game started security staff were seen collecting and confiscating this is Sinead Kassan on page 17 of the Sunday Independent confiscating flyers with the words I give a F which were being handed out in the main stand. This, of course, relates to an article in the Daily Telegraph from two weeks ago, which alleged that a prominent figure in Irish rugby said, who gives an F about women's rugby during a dinner last month? So an RFU spokesperson said after the game that they were aware of the protest and while they mightn't agree with it, everyone has the right to protest. Their issue with the Flyers was the foul and abusive language, children at the game being handed out. And also there is an anti-littering policy apparently at these uh, matches. And also I think they were saying there is an obligation from broadcasters that language like that being held up and caught on camera isn't ideal. Hence, they confiscated the Flyers. Yeah. I, I didn't see any being confiscated. I went looking for one and I couldn't get one because they were all gone. So that must have been why they were gone because right. I, I saw some people had them. Um, I do see their point on that if there's kids at a game. Yeah, and there are a lot of kids. There were a lot of kids at that game yesterday as well. There does tend to be a quite a high high uh, degree of it. I don't know. I think people are entitled to do what they want. You know, I, I, you're bringing more attention to it nearly by, by confiscating stuff and then making a story out of it. But look, that's, yeah, there, there is some element to that. I suppose it's fair enough. To I say know, yeah, look, yeah. if I was at a game and someone's had a leaflet saying, I give an F and I was there with kids, I'd be saying, would you stop? Yeah. <laughs> like, let's uh, have a protest. Jeez, the IRFU deserve it. They really do because uh, the situation is, is dire. But I just don't know if that was the best slogan. But listen, everyone is entitled to do it, would go about their business whatever they, way they want. Uh, the situation is absolutely dire. Um, Ireland have scored two tries in the whole championship, one of them being a penalty try. So if they want to avoid the wooden spoon, they're going to have to score five tries against Scotland away from home next week. Or sorry, four tries. They'll have to get five points. There's just no chance of that happening. I don't even think they'll beat Scotland. Scotland were very good yesterday yeah. against Italy, a famous home win for them against Italy. So... Uh, what that will mean, short version, is that Ireland will most likely finish bottom of the Six Nations at first wooden spoons and so forth. That will mean they will be consigned to the W15's competition Tier 3. This is a new competition starting this year, in <coughs> effect, to give more rugby to uh, female players. It'll be very important for development. So at the start of the championship, people were saying, God, you know, uh, Tier 2 wouldn't be great. People weren't even saying Tier 3 was likely and now I would think it's very likely Ireland will be in Tier 3. So that will mean not just one year but two years of opposition like Jamaica and Kazakhstan 
and just the the the, the just the minnows of international rugby. So I don't know. I I I'm not sure we've reached rock bottom in this situation actually I think uh, well, it's, it's, it's one of the questions grim. to ask is how could we have avoided reaching rock, rock bottom right yeah. you know that is a legitimate question is to say how could anything else have happened here I do think looking at the line outs yesterday which were a disaster I think second Aoife, week in a row they were Aoife McDermott and Cleena Maloney are people who I think could still be contributing and I don't understand why they're not in there yeah Personally, I don't understand why Hannah O'Connor no. is not off the off the bench. She should be the first person off the bench. Every time she comes in, she helps. And I don't understand why she's not a starting player. But um, there there is a big gap in skill level, you know, just, big, oh, yeah. I mean, extraordinary. I was just saying to um, Kieran outside, I, I was in Crow Park a few weeks ago and there was a, a, a girls blitz, a kiddies, a primary school blitz. And I was just waiting to do a job and I was watching the kids and these little girls just blew me away with their skill levels. Yeah. I mean, soloing, jinking, dummying, both right, left, could kick with both feet. Loads of them on the pitch. They were in for a day and they were just having the best fun. But the skill level was, I just was really blown away about But I was looking at minis on the pitch yesterday down in Musgrave Park and the skill level was nothing like that. And it won't be. And that's OK. And people just have to understand that because those little girls that I'm watching on the pitch in Crow Park are the third generation who are getting top class coaching and investment and money and resources. And while there's a whole load of stuff that still has to go into county level and there's a piece, good piece by Nadine Regan today in the Sunday Indo, um, just the skill level of these kids is fantastic. It's not there yet with, with women's rugby or, or girls' rugby for us, you know, and our numbers are small. And there were two occasions yesterday where if we had Bevian Parsons or Anya Breen on the pitch, I do believe we could have scored tries, but they're away with the sevens. And, and and I don't believe we have the population to to do both. No, well I think there's there's close to two hundred thousand registered female adult GA players yeah, in the country. Yeah. We have about eight thousand registered. Not, adult yeah, I don't think that's players. adult. Yeah, I don't think that's adult. That's I think that's adult. maybe total. Mm. A total, I think. Yeah, it's not adult. It's adult. No, it's not yeah. adult. I think that's yeah. in total. But that's it, worse again. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No. But but you're talking about this layer. As I said, you've got three generations now who've been really well coached and have you know there's just an amount of work that has been done by the LGF. Uh, uh, at, at coaching level and at club level it's just not there in rugby and you just have to understand that that's where we are would it be the worst thing in the world yes if you have to go down to division 3 for that amount of time I'd really what I really wonder is how are the sevens where where we're meant to, where we put all our resources how did they lose their manager in recent weeks which was buried by by the IRFU very well far down in a press release I don't understand how that happened because that's where their money is going that's they're saying a lot of money I know it's Olympic money that's gone in there but um, I don't think we have the players at the moment to sustain those sevens and fifteens, and I think it showed yesterday. They kept them scoreless for t- for for half an hour in the second half, which on on the basis of what we, what we've seen from England this year, you know that was good. It was borderline second string England in places. Yeah, though. yeah, and they lost Marley Packer as well, but we'd lost Linda Dujang as well. So like you know, but that was on both sides. But I. I, well Look, I, I, you know, I, f- I feel sorry for the players. I think the RFU have a lot to answer for, but I think we have to accept where we are as well. Oh, yeah. Is it, this is something um, Kleena said to me outside, and I know it's probably an awkward one for you, Joe, because you're on Virgin covering it. No, but, no, ask away. Yeah, but is the amount of coverage they get, they're getting, can that be problematic? Because they're trying to, like, are they getting too yeah. much coverage given the level they're at? 
and you know the focus now and you know when you know terrible results or run yeah. of terrible results and there a lot of those women are trying are basically learning their trade yeah. when you look at the amount of caps they've had that it, it can be counterproductive like we talked often of oh, need to give more coverage to women's sports for a lot of very valid reasons but when all this is going on you wonder if there's just too much spotlight on them oh i'd say yeah. it's adding to their sense of woe and yeah and I social thought, media obviously as well do you know yeah. what i mean i thought nicola friday even in the anthem oh, yesterday yeah. i thought she looked very strained yeah and she was emotional a couple of weeks ago giving an interview so i think you know she has the weight of the world on her shoulders and there's no doubt that being on national terrestrial television being hammered yeah. can't feel good and you know previous generations Okay, their good days were almost behind closed doors at Ashburn. But yeah, they were. Their bad were. days also were almost behind closed yeah, doors. So, yeah. listen, would we all like to be humiliated in private or in public? I'll take private. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think I think it's no fun. Yeah. So, I, I, and like I saw somebody saying they should, uh, you know, we can't stop them going on social media. But really, you know, the best thing in the world would, would be for them to go off social media because there is an element on social media where in women's team sport, people just love to niggle you and throw absolute crap at you. you well, know? it's funny, you know, I've had a, it's it, it, not an eye opener because I know it, it goes on, but it's been interesting the last couple of weeks. I'm now a, through Virgin and it was the same last year. I, you're tagged in more tweets around women's sport. And therefore you start to see the conversations yeah. Yeah. and the healthy misogyny, yeah. like the joyous uh, responses from, uh, I suppose, grim men in their underwear or not. Maybe they're maybe they're perfectly uh, front facing, uh, successful men. But on Twitter, they like to yeah. uh, talk this way. You know, there's like a glee, you yeah. know. Uh, well, which, let's we put it this way. If, if if all the people who were bitching about the Irish women's rugby team were in Musgrave Park yesterday, it would have been full. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, if you haven't gone to a women's game and you don't understand the standard and you don't understand the problems that they've had, you know, why? Why add to their sorrow? <laughs> yeah, but it's across the board in the sport. easy dopamine hit on Twitter. <laughs> you, you, you work as a <laughs> live understand. broadcaster on both radio and TV, and at times you will have a slip of the tongue. Everybody does. Everybody mangles a sentence at different times. When? Give me one example. <laughs> I've got, I've How got, dare you? Yeah. In about five minutes, I'm going to pick you up on this. <laughs> Give me a few examples. But but you wouldn't be picked. Like the amount of times I've say I've seen say Joanne Cantwell or Alex Scott or. Um, uh, Jackie or Jackie Hurley or whoever Rome, yeah. like they're, they're hammered if they say something wrong like they just get a sentence wrong and they express something wrong that a male broadcaster is never hammered on like they're definitely treated differently that way and like I know that, that I often mangle sentences uh, on live radio or TV you do like everybody uh, no, <laughs> thanks for confirming that <laughs> but it's fun. Uh, it's not funny it's, it's, it's very telling how uh women are set up to a higher standard of that. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, I can't speak to that. I hadn't. Yeah, but no, there was an example with Ali Scott a few months ago. I'd need to dig it out. But it went viral. Okay. Like she, she got a... But I think, I, think, I think football, and particularly English football, particularly is, is particularly misogynistic. Yeah. There just seems to be a really streak there that jumps on every, every time they can, it jumps on. I think it should change. And I think it's starting to change maybe a little bit because their women have been successful. Yeah. But this is the problem. Do women have to be ultra, ultra successful for you to stop having a go at them all the time, you know? Yeah, um, I, I, I don't doubt that point at all. I would say I just think football is toxic to everybody. <laughs> maybe. Honestly, it's great. <laughs> It's it really is the worst. And social media is toxic to everybody yeah. as well. It doesn't have. Because I was actually thinking, uh, there's so many podcasts now in football, but 
the one that you would probably guarantee to make money on was if you called it Proper Football Men podcast. Well, you should try, put that to the test. <laughs> Straight away, you would get loads of subscribers, even if they hadn't heard a word of it. But just the title alone would get them on board. Can never have too, too, enough proper football, man, Joe. You don't make the grade. Well, John Hartson said that to me on air once. <laughs> Honestly, we were chatting and Kev Kilban was on and, he, and I, he was midpoint to one of my questions. And he said, look, I'm a football man. Kev, you're a football man. And just yeah. hang. <laughs> like, all right, John. Uh, back page of the Sunday Independence. So it ties in with protests. Eamon Sweeney noting the protests at Aintree and the protests at the Snooker. And uh, he says activism without pragmatism can become narcissism. Although he, he does, uh, I don't think he's saying that to be fair about these protests. He does note Barry Hearn's comments of like stick him for, in jail for a month or uh, <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> yeah, well, was I have Barry to saying that a month in jail. But did you watch the Grand National coverage? I thought the prison. I think it was. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The the the. the Pundits in the Grand National coverage, their reaction to the protests was it was a bit feeble as well. I thought, you know, and saying like these people have never been in the stables, and if they, do they want to bring the horses back up for them and look after my, them? My favourite line was AP McCoy saying they're just attention seekers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. That's David. Well. David, David, yeah. Walsh, David Walsh has a piece about actually about the Grand National today on the back of the in Sunday Times, which is interesting enough because he he is looking at he, he's agreeing with some of the elements of you know. Particularly, I think a lot of people, even people who ride horses, think maybe less horses in it. Now you've brought down the fences, you made them safer, maybe less horses would just, you know, would help. But what he's saying is he does know that thing about the coverage. And he was saying that when they did the review of it, they started from fence to two and went on with some David oh, fence. There is absolutely on the ITV coverage, excuse me, and at Cheltenham as well, there is such a sensitivity to the criticism and the anti horse lobby. They are. Uh, very nervous and even when the Gold Cup happened and a horse uh, went down they were just at pains to say over and over again afterwards the horse is okay it's okay so I think they are very aware of But as Eamon um, Sweeney says like Aintra doesn't even rank in the top five most dangerous English race courses according to Animal Aid that dubious honour goes to Lexus Southwell 12 deaths in 2022 Newcastle Sedgefield and Lingfield are all, you know so he's just saying and then he of course is making a comparison with all of our hypocrisy as well, well in I, terms of I have know, to say I agree with this now Mick McCarthy my producer on the weekday shows has said will yeah. you stop going on about buying your food <laughs> at the shop so I'm just going to let Eamon Sween is going to do my work for me here because I, in some senses there is a gross hypocrisy the way we talk about horse racing so Eamon Sweeney says last year we saw 178 deaths at uh, British and 84 deaths at Irish race courses in 2021 Horse Racing Ireland revealed 870 horses have been killed at Irish race courses across the previous decade looked at in isolation these figures can give the impression of carnage yet the fatality rate is roughly 0.2% those two horses in a thousand are the trade-off made for the continuation of a sport which according to Minister for Agriculture has an annual economic impact of 1.8 billion euro and provides direct and indirect employment to 29,000 people. So Eamon Sweeney says that might seem a cold hearted calculation. However, in 2021, 1.8 million cattle, 3.7 million pigs and almost 3 million sheep were slaughtered in Ireland in a single year. This year, planning permission is expected to be granted for 36 new factory farms which will contain 12 million chickens and 55,000 pigs they will live briefer and grimmer lives than the race horses with a 99.8% survival rate the majority of those involved in the Aintree action 
are probably vegans. That's the protest he's talking about. Mm. But most of us turn a blind eye to factory farming and wholesale animal slaughter simply because we like eating meat. We don't, strictly speaking, have to. It's just something people enjoy, like watching racing. And I agree with that. I think, look, there are lots of aspects of horse racing which people find distasteful, absolutely. And I think the second lives of retired horses or those horses which don't cut the mustard, uh, that, that's an area where racing needs to up its game massively because uh, there are grim existences there. And there is neglect and there are bad actors. And Paul Kimmich had a piece yeah, recently yeah, about it, yeah. mistreatment, which would just make you want to cry when you read about the, the lives of some of those horses. But, 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 if we're, if we're that serious about animal welfare, it all pales in comparison to the numbers being slaughtered because, you know, we like a burger of a Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. There was also an argument to be made, uh, like I, 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 I ride horses and so I, I know a little bit about horses. Right. But there was an argument, a fair argument I saw being made last week as well, is that the delay at the start also didn't help some of those horses mm-hmm. because they were so wound up, you know, and more and, and made life diff- more difficult for them. Sure. You know, so they weren't in a cam. Cam frame of mind well, starting a race, but I I, I, I go with David with that, Walsh. Yeah. I think I, I think going with David Walsh. Just I think I don't think there should be that many horses in it. I think they've got to get away now. They've tried everything else. Uh, definitely, um, I would I would think less numbers. Okay. You shouldn't you shouldn't see people barging into each other and crossing each other and like there were so many unseated riders this year it was shocking yeah. and that and and they're all brilliant jockeys you know and brilliant horses so like you just shouldn't have that. So I think I think it was. Um, Eleven were listed as as un, unseated. I think I think year, so. Eamon finishes the column very well. Yes, you know because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of outrage at the at the protesters, particularly the snooker protests. That a lot of people seem to get 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 their backs up over uh, something that was relatively harmless. Mm-hmm. I thought. But, you know, he points out that, uh, just quoting him, elite sport consistently finds itself on the side of the bad guys. A World Cup is played in stadiums built by cruelly exploited workers, autocratic regimes by top soccer clubs and host major events to burnish their image. The IOC, led by erstwhile Vladimir Putin fan Thomas Bach, hopes to sneak Russian athletes into next year's games. NBA stars turn a blind eye to Chinese be- China's behaviour in Jiangxing. Sport allows itself to be used by some of the worst people in the world. A bit bit of disruption would be no harm at all. Orange Eddie might be annoying, but sport's biggest enemies are within. And I think there's a lot for that. Like There's a lot of things that people should be outraged about in the world of sport. Uh, And he didn't even uh, mention uh, the WTA going back into China, which is an interesting one, which has got very little coverage. Yeah, but these protests are in the halfpenny place compared to what people should really be outraged about, I think. I know. I was enjoying that snooker and now it's over. Uh, Let's move on to GAA. So plenty of coverage. Hurling Championship uh, this weekend up and running. We have two uh, pieces in agreement uh, with each other. Pat Spillane and Mark O'Shea, two uh, Kerry greats. So just to give you a flavour. Curious for your thoughts on this. So Pat Spillane, he's referring here to the brilliant Monaghan Tyrone game. Don't be fooled by the hype. Football is a bore fest. I love it. If we could put this into if we could put this into context um, in relation to the uh, things yesterday, um, this would be the equivalent of Pat standing in Crow Park with a little sign saying it's still shite. Yeah. 
<laughs> Still puking. <laughs> I uh, laugh out loud there, but I am not entirely in disagreement with him. I'm not either. I'm not either. I just, I like the language. I every, every, yeah. everyone, everyone got carried away with 902 to score that amazing goal last week. Yeah. But this well, is Like the point. second half of that game, it was maybe, well, apart, maybe 1994 down v Derry was a great game. But other than that, that second half was as good as I've ever seen in an Ulster football game. Great, but yeah. it was an outlier, as you know, as is pointed out in Pat's play. You know, the, the other two games in Ulster were really one-sided and, you know, our, our Ma were miles better than Cavan yesterday again um, you know there could be a lot of a few more one-sided games in Ulster to come and a part of the thing I think like I would go to a fair few club games in both Donegal and Dublin and so many players now like if you're in your early 20s say say that infamous Donegal Dublin 2011 semi-final was 12 years ago so if you're 21 you are 9 mm. like so there's a lot of people who've grown up just playing this possession Watch game and fist passing <laughs> and over and back and you know it's all about possession and playing the percentages they actually don't know anything else yeah so it's very very hard to change that mindset like even if you go in as a coach and say you're from a different generation like Colmer O'Rourke saying I want to go more direct I want to go more traditional and that suits me football all the players he's inherited and has taken in from their clubs have grown up from the age of eight, nine, playing a completely different way. And it's very, very hard to change that. So Spillan's piece, to give you a flavour of it, uh, he starts off by saying, even though I spent years studying English at <laughs> secondary school, I still have no interest in or love of poetry. Uh, I doubt if I'm alone. I imagine 99% of the Irish population haven't a clue whether Evan Boland is a type of biscuit or an Irish poet. Yet during Joe Biden's presidential visit, nearly every speech included the obligatory poetry quote. As an aside, I also agree with that. (laughs) Jesus, Biden. I mean, every bloody time you open your mouth. Lay off the heaney. Well, especially because you know in virtually every uh, uh, time it's done that the person doesn't actually read poetry. It's been thrown in there by a speechwriter or who's Googled uh, Irish poetry quotes? Well, he doesn't. Ah, now, in fairness, I think I think Biden is obsessed with Heaney. Well, no, <laughs> he, he put is. Put it very often, fair. you're right. Yeah. But there was well, a, is he obsessed? With, yeah, even bold. I wouldn't be sure he's familiar with. No. Sorry, did I? Is it even? Yeah, Evan. Evan. Sorry. Well, I just thought a few times when he was saying, "As the great Irish poet," and then he'd strain at the auto cue. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought there was a degree of that at times. Heaney aside, for sure. Anyway, he goes uh, on to quote Patrick Abner. Anyway. He does. Yeah, it seemed like there was there were extra marks for quoting an Irish poet. The more obscure, the better. This poetry love in peaked when ex-president Mary Robinson recited an entire Evan Boland poem during her warm-up address to twenty-seven thousand people in Ballina. Methinks she lost the audience. But in the spirit of the moment, I decided to go with the flow this morning. And so he quotes uh, Patrick Kavanagh, who did play uh, football as well. And he said, we never finished a game if towards the end we were abating. We always found an excuse to rise a row and get the field invaded. So I have to say that a point of information, that's not from a poem. No. That's from an essay called Gut Your Man, <laughs> which everybody should, everybody should read. Piece, it's one of the funniest pieces that I've ever read in Gaelic football. Well, that's 1930s advice. If you're getting a hammering, just start a row and get the thing abandoned. Anyway, here we go. So he says, after the... Um, match last week we heard the phrases and we did in fairness everyone was saying well what's wrong with Gaelic football who said Gaelic football was boring and predictable the Ulster Championship never disappoints uh, he goes on to say modern day football is boring and predictable and he says the Ulster Championship never disappoints line uh, he mentions Derry beaten for Manor by 12 points and a 9 point win for Arma over Antrim so let's have a reality check of course we witnessed a damn good match in Oma it provided us with a glimmer of hope but one swallow never made a summer I won't get carried away yet so his point 
ties in with Marco Shea's argument. He says Monaghan threw off the shackles. They released the handbrake. They played without fear. Marco Shea is starts off by writing about his brother Tomas's carry under twenty side who uh, scraped past Claire last Monday evening, and uh, he started off uh, imagining Tomas's dressing room chat afterwards, which would be tetchy enough. But he did say that based on all the matches he watched this spring, fear has trumped ambition in Gaelic football. Possession has been king. Risk aversion has been the tactic of choice. And as a result, the game as a spectacle nosedived. Uh, He says it's one thing watching senior footballers doing it. It's another when you're watching an underage team playing to such a cautious script. And Kerry, he says, were no different playing with an extra defender, even with the wind in the first half, reluctant to kick the ball in case they risked it being turned over. They struggled all evening. And uh, and it's, it's, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but it was all it was always one of the reasons I loved covering schools football. I loved covering under twenty ones and minors because there wasn't that they were just free to play. There wasn't they weren't being restrained by managers. They were letting them do their thing. Okay, there's tactics in it, yeah. but not this constant fear of losing the ball that just everybody is obsessed with now. So it's interesting that he's seen it at under twenty level well, now. It's true, and he makes the argument. So it's you know to draw a link. Spillane talks about Monaghan throwing off the handbrake and the shackle. And Marco Shea is making the point that he thinks one of the reasons the game last week was good is that he says there are no consequences for losing. Indeed, there may be benefits. You have a, a defeat which, you know, grounds the group and then you get four or five weeks training and that will arguably leave you in a better place than if you went on a winning streak and took an Ulster title. So he said it may lead us to a rather perverse place where the standard of the spectacle will get better because it's the fear of losing isn't there. But that is only because the importance of the game is diminished. So the spectacle will get better because the importance of the game is diminished. I'm not sure whether to be happy or sad about that. It's like getting a sugar rush, but at the same time feeling guilty because you know it's not good for you in the long term. Uh, he says there's no longer even the pretense that somehow a loss in the provincials is damaging for these top sides. You lose or you win, you end up in the same place in a month's time. As a result, the football may look prettier, but the, at the end of the day, you're left asking the ultimate damning question about the championship football. Does it really matter? Um, so See, there we are. That's, that's uh, an interesting Yeah, thought. it is interesting, but it matters to some teams. Say Monaghan aren't going to win All-Ireland. Tyrone could, Tyrone could win All-Ireland. big boys. Yeah. So to Monaghan winning an Ulster would be a huge deal. You know, even if they've won a couple in the last decade, but generally they haven't won, you know, they, then you, before that you'd go back to the 80s. It would still mean, uh, you saw what it meant to Derry last year. It would mean a lot to Roscommon because generally it's a carve-up between yeah. Mayo and Galway. Uh, we saw what it meant to uh, Tipperary when they won in, in Munster, what it meant to Cavan a few years ago. And all those counties I mentioned there are not going to win the All-Ireland. So to them, the provincials really matter. It doesn't matter really. To Mayo, the, the, th- the goal has to be the All-Ireland, of course. Yeah. So losing to Roscommon was a blow, but you know, ultimately they'll probably go into the All-Ireland series seated the same level as Roscommon. Yeah. And, and uh, also, uh, the, uh, just one quick yeah, one. Clean. I think also this season is a learning curve for everybody because we it's a new system and we don't really know what it's going to be like no. like at the end of it we could be saying this doesn't work at all the All-Ireland series could be a disaster you know it could be a lot of one-sided you games you could or, potentially you know, we, have we a load of one-sided know. games because yeah. you could lose you can lose I think you can lose three games and still go through like you the, 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 the way it's set up means you could actually have a few more dead rubbers even in that everyone thinks oh this is going to be the big saver I don't think it is I thought what I th- there's two things one was 
Darren Hughes got sent was 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 gone last week. So once Darren Hughes was gone, Monaghan changed how they played. So mm. like it wasn't like oh we'll deliberately all go to out attack. They actually had to do it for yeah for and very clever tactics by uh, yeah. Vinnie Corey bringing uh, McCarthy back yeah. to the from from for, uh, back to wing back and he basically ran the game as a deep line play, playmaker from there. Like and it was a move that nobody really saw coming, but. And the ultimate scheme, the bigger scheme of things, it's a game that completely be forgotten at the end of the year. But it was very enjoyable. Yeah, it was great. At the time, and that's what, what sport is. It's not and always about the destination. You no, know. it was a great Sunday for all yeah. their fans and yeah. for all the players. It yeah, was living, living I, life. Yeah, exactly. I think everybody loved it. It didn't matter where you were from, they loved it. But I, there is an interesting piece because in, in the Sunday world, um, a page behind Spillane's pieces it's interesting because Roy Curtis has a piece and he's saying, and it struck me watching Dublin during the league particularly, like... Con Callahan, don't waste him bringing him back to defend. I'm sorry. One of the most lethal forwards in the country. And a lot of the time this year, they played him like that. And he's making the argument that he is Dublin's Haaland. And, and playing him back and using him defensively is just, you know, it's just a, a terrible waste of talent. And that's the fear you have with these systems, you know. But now everybody you does it. Like last night, I saw it where Rian O'Neill yes. would be our mass. Uh, yeah. Our Mars Conor Callahan. Yeah, brilliant. And he striker. made a dive and save on the line. Oh, to, incredible. To stop incredible stop, yeah, actually. Incredible goal incredible did it, stop. Say, brilliant. And he yeah. he should be their full forward like full forward and left in there. But this is what they all do now. They all I, I don't mind that as much, I have to say, because I think the players are so fit they can yeah. transition quickly yeah, and get yeah. up the pitch. What bothers me, I suppose. Oh, but in those yeah, but in those really pedestrian matches where that, nobody's doing anything, that's, that's yeah. where I just can't Cork and Clare was a good example the other week where it was just possession for possession's sake. Yeah. And I, I genuinely think if you were to hit pause and ask all the players who were just mindlessly going side to side, the Cork players, what are you what's what what's, what's what are you working towards <laughs> here? What are you trying to engineer here? I honestly think they would have said, Oh, I don't know, I was just hand passing to the guy next to me, I'm not mm. giving the ball away because that gives us some sense of sophistication. Well, yeah. well, if you listen to even Paddy Andrews on on your own football pod this week with Tommy Rooney, uh, James O'Donoghue saying, in that instance, I would have punched the ball last weekend. I mean, seriously, what a what a really lethal, brilliant, lethal striker for Kerry when he was there, and Ryan to too. hear him saying that. saying that he would have punched the ball, I'm like, oh no. But yeah, but, but but, but then Paddy Paddy goes players, when we were in trouble with Dublin. The rule was take two minutes out of the ball and find a shot. Yeah. And that's what football is now. But, you know, with Dublin, I never minded it because I knew there was a methodology and a purpose to it. Whereas I honestly think quite a few of the county teams are mimicking that, but not thinking it through. Yeah, there's yeah. no sense of adventure. There's no risk. And I did think watching Cork Clare, like, well, you see, you you've got to have training 51 weeks yeah. a year for this. <laughs> yeah. like, this is your life and you're only going to be that age once. And like, there just has to be more adventure about your play. But yeah. I, I, I just think like, this mimicry has taken over a little bit. Not no, because and by the way, when football gets to the latter stages, it is one hundred percent better than it's ever been. Yeah, I think when you the, get the, the when you get the brilliant players Park, moving the ball yeah. fast, better than it's ever get, been. Yeah, but I think the bad play. the bad teams are just mimicking yeah. without purpose. Well, and it's this like thing of don't lose the ball. Don't lose the ball. Yeah, don't lose the ball. I'll go off on a bit of a tangent here, but this this really struck me as well because Donegal are playing down today. Right? Sorry, they were. Ch- uh, they were you want to see a, you want to see a team <laughs> playing without method in the league? If, if like, so give us other examples. Donegal. Numero uno. Oh yeah, and absolutely. But my uncle yeah. there, by the way, against Dublin, it's just yeah. back and forth. Back yeah, yeah. And forth. yeah. But that's what I mean. Like I, I, I never remember. <coughs> excuse me. Like ten of the players who played played Donegal's last championship game last year aren't available for this one today, 
which is amazing turnaround and for various reasons between retirement, injury, they've opted out, whatever. And then there's you know the player heave against Paddy Carr. There's everything that's going on with Academy Carl Lacey that I I don't remember expectations ever being lower. But it just struck me this weird uh, thing in the GA about being professional. So one of the things that people try to be professional at training camps. So uh, Donegal. In county board meetings where they were discussing all this going to the academy and the player heave, etc. They also approved the players going, uh, the squad going to Carton House for a couple of nights, which was last week, uh, at a cost of 35 grand. Oh, I remember seeing okay. that. And like we, everybody in Donegal knows Donegal are going to do nothing this year. They've already been relegated and they're not going to be a good championship. It's just not going to happen. So why are you doing that money? Especially when last week, last October, they opened uh, their centre of excellence in Convoy that ultimately will cost seven million. That when you were spending this amount on your own, and and also at that county board meeting, they talked about how difficult they're finding it on the fundraising front this year because of all the bad publicity around what has happened with Paddy Carr and the academy. Mm. But there's no joined up thinking there. Like this is a year you th- like if, if that came up to me and I was county board chairman, and you said we have spent millions on the centre of excellence. Why are we paying for training camp? And especially this is a season that things, we just have to hunker down and get through it and try and rebuild for next year. But I think this is the thing that so many go, we have to be seen to be professional. So being seen to be professional is funneling the ball around all day and never taking a shot. It's it's going well, to Carton House when you're no. What hoper. is professional? Yeah, what yeah. is professional? You see, that's like, it's burning up money. Like as you say, the, watching that Cork Clare game, they've trained so hard, and that's what they're doing. Because, like Ryan O'Toole did something that most coaches would have been tearing their hair out because he did it. Because nineteen times out of twenty, it went through. Uh, it went past two to wrong players. Nineteen times out of twenty, would hit one of their legs. It was totally the wrong thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Like, we can't just be outcome based. It was the wrong thing to do. But good luck to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were all delighted by it as well. Excited by yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so and and they, uh, it's funny hurling is under a little bit of pressure as well at the say, moment. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. So uh, for instance, uh, oh, do you Michael, like your hurling, Joe? Michael Foley on page seventeen of the Sunday Times. Kind of interesting piece. There is, by the way, across the board, but I just we won't get too into it because it will date horribly if you're listening to this on a Monday. There are lots of previews of the championship. We have Waterford Limerick today and Clare Tipperary. Suffice to say, everybody thinks Limerick will win the All-Ireland and <laughs> at a canter. That's the gist. But Michael Foley's uh, piece, goals are drying up, so where is Hurling headed? And it ties in with that, that point about possession as well. He said, the real problem for Hurling now goes to the very soul of the game itself. The game remains too cold at the moment. It's too clinical. What do the GEA want Hurling to be? What should it look and feel like in a global environment where control, possession and percentage plays have emerged as the defining characteristics of modern sport, how does a gloriously random sport like hurling cope? It's such a, that is such an interesting way of uh, framing hurling. It, it is in the midst of this global environment where the, all sports are about control, possession, percentage plays. And so where does a sport like hurling fit into that? Uh, the belief continues Michael Foley, embedded over generations, was that hurling was never built to be played in that way. Now there's a generation that can't imagine any other form of the game. It's even more demoralising when all the conditions are there for Hurling to thrive. Players have never been fitter or as skillful, scoring records tumbling every year and Limerick are outstanding champions. But Hurling itself cannot self-regulate against elements of uh, play attacking its very identity. He says there was some hope uh, in the stats 
last year that the game was about to enjoy a spike in goal scoring. The figures from the 21 Championship showed an average of 3.5 goals per game, the highest in nearly a decade. Instead, though, teams retreated into their shells. In 34 Championship games last year, 97 goals were scored, which is an average of 2.8 goals per game. And in the league, we saw a continuation of that. 92 goals in 34 matches. Although I have to say, I did wonder if in the league generally we see fewer goals with the weather. However, as goals are being outgrown by long distance points, a dreary sort of order has dammed up a wonderful source of chaos. And he uh, finishes off by wondering if, you know, various committees have examined increasing the points value of a goal or adjusting the design of the slitter. Uh, the science of making the ball heavier won't shorten the distance. The idea of increasing the rim size to reduce the aerodynamic quality and make it harder to ping stick passes and puck outs has never really stuck. But they have to try. There should be no limit to thinking to reduce, for instance, long range scoring and encourage more contests. Why not make any free inside a team's half an indirect strike? Yeah. Uh, there isn't a player who will wish to adjust the ball or to see any free removed as a scoring opportunity but those are the hard types of choices that need to be made and it's like taking the mark out of you know the forward mark in, in Gaelic football again I think that forward mark is depriving us of you know Chaos. more exciting action that we want to see the chaos exactly um, mm. and and he makes the point he was saying in, in the world of heritage sports and he, he he equates hurling to baseball in America he says but American baseball they haven't been afraid to change the rules of baseball to try to change to change how the game was going um, and I think like I've, I've been thinking about this for the last two years I mean Limerick are amazing they're brilliant they're fantastic but I miss fielding. I miss. I hate all the rocks. I miss miss goals, and I miss I miss fielding. And that brilliant Kilkenny team of Cody's, my God, their fielding was sensational. You know that was part of the joy of watching them was how brilliant they were I at mean, fielding. Tommy Welch is on the show later watching him go up and catch a ball. Oh, mm. I mean, uh, for and a guy who wasn't huge, but yeah. just everything about the way they played. And and these Limerick hurlers are sensational hurlers. Their skill levels are phenomenal. But he's right in that. Uh, Enda McAvoy put it brilliantly in the examiner in a piece yesterday where he said you know when the game has evolved to the point where guys can light a cigar when they're out playing half back before they send in you know an 80 metre free uh, there's something slightly gone you know something has the balance has shifted and I did think that uh, the thing that's been in my mind was the ball can we change the ball to make it heavier so that you can't score so easily from long distances anymore because that's what physically they're able to do with their skill and their power um, and it's interesting because I didn't know that that the science said you the making it wouldn't shorten the distance no. but I do think that there is something to be said for down the road look maybe maybe this will maybe this Limerick team are an aberration and other people can't do it but even I noticed even during the league the ability of players to score long range points and in the league it's nearly more obvious because they're not being challenged at the same level as well there isn't the same physicality in the game yeah. but it, it is it is a really interesting point it's like um, where, where is the game evolving yeah, and where is, is the where is the delight of the goals it's, it's we're ge- not seeing as many it's goals it's geniuses like Paul Connerk who sit there and Yep. go against conventional wisdom and they figure out new ways to do things. I mean, th- changing the rims would change how aerodynamic the balls are and that, yeah, would, you that would make it harder. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Is this, is, is the sen- are hurling people unhappy with I think a lot of them are. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of them yeah. are because uh, the appeal was, a large part of the appeal was the chaos because it, hurling was so different to other team sports and that it wasn't all about possession. You know, it was about content. Like you got it and you uh, you know, it was a contest that really 
energise people like the, the roar somebody would just do a mad clearance up the field yeah. and there would be a battle for it inside and people love that kind of thing and also remember not that long ago the reaction to long range scores like they used to get a huge cheer because no, they were no they were unusual. Yeah, they were yeah. Not anymore. People are thinking, yeah. Every not time anymore. people see them, or people expect them. There, now. there is something wrong when yeah. you see players on their bad side knocking over a pint from sixty meters, and the commentators saying that's a score. Yeah, you don't as you nearly don't appreciate the skill of it. Yeah, yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that. the other thing, I what I always loved about hurling is that you couldn't play negatively. That you couldn't, it's you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't bring everybody back to defence. That's what I love about hurling. Yeah. But essentially, that is what started to happen. You play one sweeper, you play two sweepers, and then because of the strength and the speed of the players and the skill, we can score. Uh, we can points, score very yeah. quickly on the on the counter. So it has changed. And 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 do hurling people feel this way about it? I think there are elements of hurling people do. And Michael Dignan even mentioned it as well today right. in his column in in the Mail on Sunday, and he's also making that thing. Just he's talking about his. 25 years since Offaly won that that famous that most dramatic of all Ireland's and the chaos of that year he just talks about yeah. and, and, and everything was so crazy that year but he's saying there is a little bit of wildness lost a little bit yeah. of excitement lost and even in the way the game is being played now we're losing that thrill we're losing a bit Absolutely, of the drama Absolutely because Do you think those sensibilities might have changed now and so we're harking back to that bit of wildness but if we were to be reserved that for whatever reason do you think any of us would sit there and think this is actually brainless stuff. They're just whacking it away. Well, no, because because it 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 wasn't brainless. There there were there were some teams that played that way. But if you if and they used to always say, oh, Cody doesn't play tactics. Of course, he played tactics, but it was it was their ability to dominate everybody in the air. And there is that thing in hurling about beating your your man or your woman in the air. That is a mark of brilliance, and I think that's been lost. Yeah, I think possibly you you might look at it with a more sceptical eye just because we've been so conditioned. It's like, uh, it's like if you watch soccer from the 80s or the 90s or the yeah. 70s. Unwatchable. It often looks slow and unwatchable or it often is slow and unwatchable because you're conditioned by what you're watching week on week now. But you, you, I always think that the quote from Anthony Daly <coughs> is probably the best ever to come out of hurling when he said uh, uh, should look at hurling a thousand mad things and someone comes out on top but the problem is you don't get the mad things as much anymore well know? no the, the Paul Canucks of the world rightly say well we can control a lot more here than yeah. we thought and and it's why it's why our jaws drop when when Joe Canning or um, uh, Limerick you know they do the mad flick or whatever like that drives kids into a sport I really believe that mm. like that's what the kids will be it's out it's a TikTok moment it's, they, well you know if they see it on TV they, that's what you that's what we were out in the out in the garden practicing trying that stuff like it does there is an element of that so like coaches have a comp- managers have a completely different view than, than fans do but I do think it's interesting that it's starting to be talked about in Harley now mm. um, and I think people are looking at it well, look, it's, it's, I think we're at an interesting point maybe in sport where all of these sports are however many hundred years old and sports science has reached unprecedented levels. And even in golf, they've now reached a point where yeah. they've said, OK, we now do need to just change the ball because the athletes are better, the equipment's better and otherwise golf courses will be redundant. So maybe in a whole host of sports we're reaching those Yeah, levels. and also there's something that will be addressed because if you look at the conditioning now, uh, uh, eventually people will think, you know, should it be 15 players? You know, should it be 11? Should it be 13? You know, yeah. they're, they're, those things come in because... Well, that conversation's happening in rugby and they yeah. keep tweaking yeah. the rules and they tweak the rules and suddenly the attack gets on top. 
Yeah. By the way, just to mention, Joe Brawley's writing about this as well, as is Michael Dignan. Game can't afford to lose good referees. Michael Dignan's, it, it's, his larger piece is about 98, but he just has uh, a smaller point. He says, once again, the issue of referees making headlines, Fergal Horgan leaving the game, big talking point, though the stats don't back up his case that Munster officials don't get enough big games. He did three of the last six All-Irelands. But he says, then there was the talk of the referee's fitness test and how it's making things trickier. Uh, David Coldrick, who Joe Brawley's writing about as well, and he's of a similar mind to Michael Dignan. David Coltrick is gone from the football panel. The bleep test is supposedly 17.4. For an Intercounty player, that's handy. For others, it's a high enough bar. Should a referee be cut or ruled out if he doesn't hit it? If he hits 17.2, does that not mean he can control a game? It's like telling a dressing room of players, if anyone drinks, they're off the panel and then the blessed player goes out. I think it's a very awkward precedent. You have to be more flexible. It's hard enough to get quality referees. Uh, in Joe Brawley's piece, he make he, he suggests that David Coldrick had, had a, an a, a muscle strain. Yeah, yeah. And yes. so now he doesn't get a chance to recover and prove himself again, which does seem very. I, I do. I do think uh, if you've got somebody of Coldrick's experience, and I think he's, I really like him as a referee. I think he's really fair, just kind of solid referee. He's always been one of the top referees. If it was an injury, surely oh, yeah. you don't want to lose a really top class referee. Why not let him go back and do the test in a few yeah, weeks? Yeah, and the other thing is. Uh, because of the, the way the season has changed, like even, you know, if he's got an injury or he needs to get up his fitness for whatever reasons or any referee does, surely he could come into the frame after the provincial championships, you know, for the All-Iron Series and the Talchin Cup. You know, why, why has he been dis- gone for the whole so summer? If a referee pulls a hamstring today in a match, surely they're not just booted off for the rest of the season. They get a chance to recover. He should get the I same chance. So, yeah. Yeah. I would presume so, yeah. That's very strange. Brawley's column is great today. If anyone wants to read it, it just made me laugh out loud. It's very funny. It's just story after story. And I was like, yeah, well, it's Peter Whitnell is that as well. true? Can I read this out on the <laughs> it's, radio? It's Peter Whitnell who was an absolute legend. And it's just, it's well worth a read. It's just really good fun, good fun. Uh, we're pretty much out of time. Is there any last uh, piece you want to direct people towards? We mightn't quite have time to discuss it. Nadine Doherty with Vicky Wall, interesting. Vicky Wall, she catches her at the Mead Star in the car on the way to training where she, like 90% of the female intercounty players in this country, she's getting no mileage and she's very keen for integration of the three associations and for male players to speak out and, and you know the point is made in the piece the GA has more than enough resources to serve all but we're not serving all at the moment so I think yeah, that's a, a cause which is to the fore of most minds. Yeah, that's her point. She's saying, you know, all this talk of integration um, and money pe- keeps coming up and she's saying the GA have lots of money so why not? Why, why is why is, why are things happening such a slow... Yeah, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning Jonathan Northcroft's piece on Arsenal because I don't think in any way um, Arsenal have bottled it. Like Arsenal could beat City on Wednesday win, uh, or sorry, lose to City on Wednesday, win the rest of their games and they'd end up with 90 points which would match their highest ever tally and they still wouldn't they still wouldn't win the league because I think it's sinking now with everybody. The City have changed the landscape so dramatically that any little slip is punished and I think Arsenal, you know, the youngest team in the Premier League, the young Arteta would have been would be the youngest manager to win it if he won it. Like they've done wonderfully well. But as he points out, Jonathan Northcote mentions a conversation he had with Jimmy Carragher after they slipped Liverpool slipped up in twenty fourteen. He said, You're building this next year. He says it's never that simple. Mm. And he's pointing out that Liverpool, United, Chelsea are likely to be st- stronger next season. Uh, Newcastle will spend a lot of money. City will probably have Jude Bellingham be even stronger. Yeah. They mightn't even make top four next year, like the, which is yeah. pretty grim for them. I agree with that. Could be could be just one of those great chances that you don't get again. And there's a, just one last piece for me. The, um, Sean McGoldrick has a piece with Daniel Whiffen, the, the Northern Ireland swimmer, Irish swimmer. He's from the north, yeah. but he's guy 
people just watch out for this guy. And what is really interesting about him, he's a twin. They both, two of them have gone to Loughborough, but he is swimming sensational times. He took 15 seconds. He's a long distance swimmer, 1500, like it's 30 lengths. Um, but he has knocked chunks. He's knocked 15 seconds off the Irish record. He's gone over to England. He... He, like everyone always said this kid had unbelievable talent and the other brother is really good as well but what's really interesting about him is he, he says he's no problem saying I'm going to break a world record and that's rare enough and in team sport now where players are you know coached not to say anything mm. in case anybody would get a little bit excited um, this guy I think is, is going to be one that you're going to be watching next year in a big way 30 lengths of 50 yeah, metres imagine and he, he's he's in, in Loughborough it's where he is it's the English training centre as well and there seems to be an indication that because everybody around him is just slogging through this it's really lifted his game and he's willing to slog through it as well but he's always been regarded as a real t- serious endurance talent I started swimming in a 50 metre pool last year for the first time it's a long way <laughs> it never ends it was, the, it was such an eye opener I swim yeah it's unbelievable. <laughs> I was like, I had to stop halfway and that. <laughs> Which through. is what normally we do, 25 metre oh, pools. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it really yeah. opened my eyes. Anyway, that's one of the least insightful things I've ever said. So we'll move <laughs> on. Uh, Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer of the Irish Daily Star. Thank you. Clean Foley, as ever, thank you very much. Thanks, that was guys. the paper review for this Sunday. We're back next week.